0: Welcome back to Millennial Life Crisis. Today, it's just me, Shelby, recording an episode. Monica is having a crazy busy day and we switch off editing. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to do a solo episode. I've never done this, so hope it goes well. Hopefully, I'm not just rambling the whole time. Yeah, let me know what you think of the solo episode and of Monica's solo episodes. If we should do more or if we should really just never do these because, you know, maybe you guys like it when we have an actual conversation. The next one, we're definitely interviewing another YouTuber. So stay tuned for that, that's planned. I'm actually recording it tomorrow. So the topic of today's episode is money. This is something that I talk about a lot on my YouTube channel, how people make money, how much money I make, how much, you know, other people doing Amazon FBA and different things. I feel like in the past year, I've learned a lot more about how other people make money. And I've really been diving into the analytics of how much I make and sharing it with you guys, at least the AdSense. I don't really share the brand deals as much because you sign a contract and typically you can't say how much. So yeah, I I don't usually say, although I will say whatever I make on AdSense, I probably make more on brand deals. So that might be a good rule of thumb. I don't know. It's so different with everyone. It depends, you know, if you have a manager, an agent, or if you do it yourself or how many brand deals you do. These days, I uh, like really want to do a lot less and only work with, you know, companies that I think are really cool. So Yeah, that's kind of the gist of it. If you guys are, you know, if you found this podcast more through Monica and not through me, I guess a little rundown. I've made some videos about how much YouTubers make. So I I can talk about it here, too, because I haven't really talked about it for a while. So, yeah, I'll talk a little bit more about, I guess, how I make money in case you just found this podcast through just, you know, the podcasting app or something. YouTubers can make quite a good amount if they're dedicated and posting a lot and you know doing the right things but it's not guaranteed there are youtubers that have a million subscribers who I don't think make that much because maybe they don't really know what they're doing like it's really just not ever guaranteed but I think for a a rule of thumb if somebody has a million subscribers it should be pretty easy for them to make six figures a year um yeah, I would say because you have AdSense, deals, all that. So probably unless their channel's a little bit dead and they don't upload or something like that, then they're definitely not. Before we really dive into the money stuff, I will talk about my millennial life crisis for the week. It feels weird to just be doing this solo. But my millennial life crisis of the week is more of a health crisis, not a whole not a full on crisis. I feel like rarely are these, you know, a real crisis. But basically, I've just been so low on energy and I really can't figure out why it doesn't make sense. Like, well, I definitely haven't been getting enough sleep, but it's still it's more of a I feel physically weak, not really mentally tired. You know how it's a different sort of thing. I feel like something's just off and I don't. I don't really know what it is. And it's it's just weird because normally I can figure it out. Be like, oh, I'm kind of low on iron. I've been taking those ritual supplements. I mean, I haven't taken supplements in, um, you know, I don't think ever have I ever consistently taken supplements. So I'm trying that out, trying to get my energy back up. I also I mean, this is the real crisis for me, like the real thing that's kind of keeping me up at night. So like a lot of people, my bite has changed quite a lot since I had braces back in the day. I used to have an underbite and they kind of got rid of it with this bite block thing. But when my wisdom teeth grew in, it kind of came back and now my bite is so messed up, you guys. I can't chew food properly. So, I've been told since I was 12 that the only way to really fix this permanently, basically, is to get jaw surgery, which is pretty intense. I've watched a bunch of YouTube videos about it now, and it's a good, you know, full month where I probably wouldn't be able to make YouTube videos or talk or record the podcast even. Um, And I probably look pretty weird, like very puffy. I mean, if you look up what people look like after jaw surgery, it's kind of scary. So... I'm really, really scared and I don't know if it's the right, I don't know. I've been talking to an orthodontist about it for over a year and I found a surgeon that I think is good, but I just don't know for sure how it's going to turn out. You know, I mean, the surgeon has really good reviews, but it's not like I know somebody that has gotten this surgery from this surgeon or anything like that. I've got my wisdom teeth out at this same place, so I do feel a little better about it in that way. And they do have really good reviews, but I know it's better to go to a lot of consultations. The thing is, it's like $500 for each consultation. And this place, I think they already seem good where I'm like, it just seems like kind of a waste of time to go to more consultations. So I'm not really sure if it's worth it, but at the same time, I'm like, what if I did find a better one? I don't know. It's definitely like I seriously don't know what to do about it And I'm really freaked out and scared of the surgery. So if any of you guys have gotten this surgery before Let me know how it went Um, Also the place that Monica got her veneers that Orthodontist took a look at my teeth and he was like, oh we could probably do Invisalign and shave your teeth a little and make it work And I'm like, oh my god, please don't give me another option because now I really am not gonna be able to choose there's just so many options. And I honestly think my intuition is telling me that it's better to just do the surgery because I've done the whole non surgical approach to this before and it worked for a while. But your teeth, they find a way to go back to their bite unless you, you know, literally cut a piece of your jaw out like they would for the surgery. Sorry if that sounds kind of gross, but um, that then it really can't come back. But I've just had it before where I had braces. I had this bite block for years and it got rid of it, but it came back. So I'm not looking to do any of these experimental things where it could maybe come back. But at the same time, I'm just really afraid of that surgery. Like you're fully on a liquid diet for a week and then you have two months of eating basically just like mashed potatoes. So it sounds pretty terrible, but I figure the best time to do it is during this lockdown, right? Like I at least won't have a FOMO because there's nothing really going on anyway and I wouldn't be traveling. So it's kind of the best time to do it, but I'm afraid I'm rushing into it because I want to do it during the pandemic because, you know, it just wouldn't be as bad I don't know I'm just uh, wow I thought I didn't have a life crisis for the week but this really is my crisis lately (laughs) okay so now we will get into the actual episode topic money so I think this is such an important topic and something that Sometimes people don't really want to talk about it's it can be awkward to talk about money with friends Nobody wants to feel uncomfortable, but in a lot of ways It can also be really beneficial to talk about money because you know The more you know about something the better you are going to handle it with money at least, you know I think a lot of my youtube friends we do Talk about money and you know, we won't get like sometimes too so specific Um, especially if it's someone that is obviously making like a lot more, I don't know, but in general, it is good to talk about so you know better how to invest it. And sometimes I think that. Our society doesn't want us to talk about money so that we stay kind of ignorant to what we could be doing. For example, a lot of workplaces don't want you to share your salary with your coworkers. They really discourage that. And that's a lot of times because they don't want other people to know if they're getting ripped off kind of. So they can pay employees a different amount based on pretty much how good they are at negotiating. Um so I think websites like Glassdoor are kind of getting rid of that they're making it easier for people to negotiate but this is also really true in the YouTube world as well you know a brand will approach different YouTubers and if YouTubers aren't really talking about what their rate is or what a standard rate should be, then that brand will definitely try and rip them off. It happens all the time. I hear about it happening all the time because people just don't know any better. So basically, I think it's good to talk about. And a lot of people are now on YouTube. You know, you see YouTubers like Graham Stefan and Nate O'Brien, who's coming on this podcast very soon. So look out for that. They, I think, are like the young, younger, like, teachers of this stuff because you don't learn it in school, which is kind of messed up. (laughs) And, um, you know, a lot of the advice or like investing advice that you see from the news, it's like, I don't even feel like I can trust it exactly. A lot of times it's just some random person saying it and you don't really know if they're putting their money where their mouth is. But a lot of these YouTubers, they show you like the receipts, the screenshots of how they've done it. And so even though, sure, they may not be a certified financial planner, I actually do trust some of these YouTubers more than I trust, you know, the news or just some random person that comes up to me and says they're a financial advisor because you don't even need a degree to become a financial advisor. Anyone can kind of just start to do that. I've heard you do need some kind of certificate for it, but you don't need a degree in finance. And there's definitely financial advisors out there that aren't good at their jobs. So just because someone says they're a financial advisor doesn't necessarily mean that they're good at it. So I think that's really awesome that there's just a lot more content and information out there geared towards millennials or Gen Z, even TikTok, there's like finance people. So it's easier than ever to learn what you can be doing with your money. I mean, they'll show you like actionable steps because I always remember growing up, like people would just say, invest in stocks invest in stocks. And you'd be like, okay, what one, how, where, where should I go? And everyone would be like, I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't want to like tell you what to do because they don't want to be liable for it. And it's like, okay, that's not really that helpful then. So yeah, I just kind of remember that always being a thing. Like my dad telling me or hearing it, just hearing it, you know, around. So Now we actually have a lot more specific information and can see what other people are doing or maybe choose not to do it. It's really good to do your research. Never just watch one YouTuber and think like, oh, yeah, I'm going to do exactly what they're doing. It's kind of, you know, good knowledge to like see uh, if that makes sense. but. Um, I fear that there could be someone that's really not trustworthy sometimes I see this like day trading stuff and swing trading and that I think can be pretty risky but what a lot of these financial youtubers the advice they are giving is really tried and true solid stuff that people have been doing for years and isn't very risky it's like investing in the S&P 500 and these stocks that have been known to do really well for a long time and diversifying your investments like really just pretty safe advice it's not like these youtubers are like yes put all your money in tesla then i think that would be a little alarming although i do love tesla so let's back up and talk about just um kind of my like mindset and how I grew up thinking about money because I think that has such a big impact on kind of how much you end up making later on, you know, when you're young or how your parents talk about it and that kind of thing. So when I was younger, I've always just been such a saver. Like, I would have anxiety about spending money. And I think it's because I just didn't have much money at all. I mean, it would be the kind of thing where, you know, my parents would give me a dollar for doing the dishes or something like that. So it's like max you can make in a week is like maybe $10. So I would seriously save that until I could buy a camera or something. So it would take like a whole summer or whatever. And I remember being younger and thinking like, oh, I can't wait until I can get a job. Like, I can't wait to be 16 because then you could get a job working at Starbucks or something. Like, I seriously wanted to work. And I think it's because, yeah, my parents just didn't hand things to me. And it wasn't really because they were like not trying to spoil us. I think it was just because like they didn't have a ton of extra money to spend. And I think a lot, like probably most... um, most people grow up that way because just normal life expenses for one person is a lot. And so when it's a family, it's not like it's super common for families to have a ton of extra money to spend on stuff. So I don't think this is like any kind of sob story. Obviously, I feel like I grew up with everything I needed, but not the things I wanted. And it did give me that ambition and motivation to get the things that I wanted one day and I think at the time it was more superficial like oh I want a pair of Uggs or whatever but um, I mean these days it's more like oh I just want the security to you know have a, a home <laughs> like that I own and like not pay rent ever. I just think of it in a way more practical way because I've kind of gone through the phase of earning more money than I ever have and buying fun material things. And now and that's a fun phase, but now I'm just more focused on, okay, how can I build my wealth to a point where I can, I mean, I don't have like a full-on retiring early plan, but the goal, you know, is to make money so that it doesn't control your life. Your life isn't, to me at least, my goal is so my life isn't controlled by, by having to make money. I honestly don't think I could even retire early because I would just get bored, but I want to be able to choose what I'm doing and not have to do things for money. Cause it, it really, it feels like the ultimate freedom to be able to choose what you want to do for work and not have to factor in money at all, like literally not at all. But it's interesting. Just the, Talking about the way that I grew up thinking about money, I was always nervous about spending it. I never felt like I had very much. Like two hundred dollars was a lot, and that can go so quickly. So I was like nervous to even spend it on anything. And one of the biggest purchases I ever made that I was like, oh, I don't know if I should do this, was a camera. And that's what I started making YouTube videos with. It's crazy now because I spend way more money, obviously, than I ever have in the past or when I was like even first moved to California. But I. still am like the amount I spend versus how much I make I try and keep like way 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 lower because I'm always like just just in case you know what if who knows especially doing YouTube nothing is guaranteed so I like to save but I have gotten way more comfortable with spending on things that I don't always need and I feel like that's like once you can afford it it like I don't think you need to be saving every penny and I know some YouTubers are like oh don't buy coffee and it's like if that makes your life better it's literally five dollars it's really not that much I don't think buying coffee is going to be the thing that actually makes it so you can't buy a house or something like that like you see these articles that are like millennials spend so much on avocado toast so they can't buy a house and it's like No, that's seriously max in a year, max, what a thousand dollars, probably less, uh, hopefully less, you know, spending $500 a year on something isn't going to be the difference between if you can afford a house or not. It's more like $20,000 a year. If you're spending like $20,000 a year on something that will, you know, obviously over the years, like if you have $60,000, you can make a down payment on something, um, especially if you don't live in LA, you totally, totally could. Maybe that's not super good advice, but I just see people talk about lifestyle inflation and like it will almost ruin your life or something. But I feel like I have been able to upgrade my lifestyle in a way that's reasonable without going too crazy and has made my life better. And I just feel better about overall and probably honestly has made me more money anyway, because I am usually spending money on things that save me time or make my videos better or just make my life better. Like just doing things that I enjoy and then I really think you feel more refreshed and then I feel like I do better work because I just, I feel better about my life in general. There's a balance to it. Some people are all about saving everything and working all the time and I'm really not like that. I wanna work to live, not live to work, you feel me? So back to my mindset about money and kind of relationship with money growing up. So like I said, Monica and I pretty much grew up in a middle class family. My dad was a teacher and my mom did medical billing and we definitely had tight months. That's why I said before $200 seemed like a ton of money. Like I would save the whole summer for that. I don't mean this in a complaining kind of way. I just am explaining how I came to my thought process with money. So I remember being younger and not having money to go to the movies with my friends. Just, you know, not being able to go and having to buy my own car. And it was just such a piece of shit car. And I just remember thinking even from such a young age, probably 10 years old, that I would be rich one day. Now I I wouldn't describe it in those words of I want to be rich. It definitely sounds kind of immature, but I was 10 when I thought this and I remember thinking it in pretty much those exact words. And it was something that I just had no doubt about. I was like, yeah, definitely one day I'm not going to be living like this anymore. It was, it's so weird to think that other people don't think that way I don't know what it was that made me think that but I just remember like even from a young age being like for sure 100% I don't know how I'm gonna do it but I'm definitely gonna do what it takes to not be struggling financially because I know what it's like and it's not freedom it's not something to be glamorized or I don't know sometimes you find that people have some noble reason that they don't want to make money working for a nonprofit or something like that. But I think you can make money and take care of yourself and also do those things. I don't think it has to be either or I feel like the way that Monica and I both grew up, our parents weren't, you know, having the mindset of wanting to make a lot of money. It was like, okay, we like barely have enough to get by and we would have tight months where it was like, okay, we really can't spend that much like on anything extra at all like I remember that and they I guess I feel like my parents didn't really have the mindset of like maybe I should start my own company or try and get a promotion which is fine everyone has different sort of goals and things that matter to them and what they want to do and I feel like you know my dad was a teacher like that is a job that has a ceiling and it's a good job if you you know, feel passionate about teaching, especially in Washington state. Apparently now they can make like a hundred thousand a year, but definitely I grew up, you know, middle-class having middle-class influences, meaning no one's really, no, none of my friends' parents were like really, really successful the way that when I moved to LA, I'm just, you know, there are more people that are really crazy successful, like per capita than you know, the town I grew up in, in Washington. And by success, I strictly mean just like financially successful and reaching your finance goals. Obviously, there's so many ways to measure success and your finances aren't the only one and they might not even be the most important to you, but they are still important because it does affect your life a lot. And so even, I don't know, I felt like I always just had kind of a different mindset than even my friends that I grew up with. And your mindset about money, it really does affect, I think, how much you end up making. Because if you think that you're the kind of person that should only make 50000 a year, you're not going to look for those ways to make money in different ways. And I just I meet a lot of people who are like that and I just want to shake them and be like no there are so many ways you know we have the internet you could be doing so many different things and you could enjoy these things and make money at it I don't think it's like something that only some people can do but I do think that you have to believe in yourself like you have to know that you can do this you can't be the type to feel weird about making a lot of money and it sounds crazy that people would feel that way but people do a lot of people do think like no I just I don't know and it's that doesn't have to be the case one thing I think that's always a good step is just writing down your financial goals how much you want to make in a year that's something that I've done for a long time and I'll write down things that at the time might feel crazy so when I was 18 and doing YouTube but probably making 30,000 a year from it I'm sure at some point I wrote down that I wanted to make six figures a year and I ended up doing it. I think you like there's something to writing things down that helps you kind of stick with it. I don't know what it is, but I really think there's something powerful about it because it just makes it feel more real that it's a goal. If you just think it in your head, you're not as likely to do it. There's studies on this too. There is some kind of study where if you don't write down your goals, you're just so much less likely to actually do it. And think about it. If you have a goal and you're not even willing to write it down, you're definitely not committed to it and not willing to actually do it. So I think that's always a good thing. And that's something that I do now. I know this might sound crazy to people, but my financial goal that I have written down is to make $500,000 in a year. And like, I know that probably sounds so insane to a lot of people but you have to remember there's so many ways to make money either on the internet or starting a traditional business there's so many paths to it and it doesn't need to I almost sound greedy I feel like saying my goal is to make five hundred thousand dollars in a year but you know what I think if a guy said that no one would say that he sounds greedy sometimes I think it is a little bit of a gender thing maybe not I feel like, you know, girls are a little bit conditioned to not be greedy and whatever, but I don't think it's greedy. Honestly, $500,000 in Los Angeles where I live and intend to live for a long time, probably (laughs) unless I like randomly change my mind, um, doesn't really get you very far in terms of buying a house. So that's why my goal is pretty high compared to probably the average in a normal city. $100,000 a year is perfectly fine. And there is even that study of once you make past 80,000 a year, your happiness level doesn't go up with money, and I find that to be pretty true. Once you can take care of your basic needs and all of that, it's like your happiness level doesn't go up that much. If I don't make 500,000 in a year in the coming years, I don't think I'll be like upset about it. It's kind of what I'm shooting for, but it's not something that is I know it's not going to make me happier per se, but it's more of a goal because I want to be able to buy a house that I want, that I like and want to live in. And I want to own a house. Like I don't want to be tied to a mortgage and all this stuff where you're actually a little bit trapped still, um, and having to do things for money. I just don't want to be like that. And I know it's possible not to, but it's rare. Not a lot of people get there until they're pretty old. Okay. I actually just looked it up. It's not 80,000 a year. It's 105,000 a year. Apparently past that, it's not going to affect your happiness level much. And I think that's because, you know, if you're making a hundred, 105,000 a year in even a major city, you can get everything that you need and in more, you know, you can pay for fun things and convenient things like Postmates, you know, but I still think that, Maybe it's not completely right um, because if you live in a major city, things are just a lot more expensive. And even though 105000 a year is a, is a good amount to make per year, if you're making that in LA, it's still going to take you forever to buy a house unless you are saving a lot. I, well, it is possible actually, but after taxes and once you factor in all those things, it's it's not the same everywhere. So I think that study... It, it makes a lot of sense, but it might be a little bit flawed for just the major cities. So I've talked a bit about, you know, growing up when I was even pretty young, just what my thoughts were on money. So I started making YouTube videos when I was 14, as most of you guys know, and making a bit of money from that. And I did always stay kind of like more of a saver. And really the point where I realized, oh, I could probably make a full-time income on this was when I was probably 17 because managers were entering the game and you could get brand deals and that just really Adsense wasn't that much at the time so that's what really made it possible for pretty much everyone at that time to do YouTube full time and to think wow, wait this could actually be a, a real thing So the first brand deal I ever got, I believe it was with Sherry's berries and I made twelve hundred dollars and I was like, holy shit that's so much money for one video that's so crazy um i'm rich now i mean what am i gonna do with all this money i mean at 17 when you don't have rent and you don't have any of those things i was seriously feeling like i made it (laughs) um but if i was paying for my actual lifestyle like i was a year later i'd realize okay this isn't actually that much money it's not gonna get you that far And also now if a brand offered me 1200 for a video, I like wouldn't even reply to the email probably because it's just not worth the time. Um, mainly because I make way more on AdSense than I used to. I figured that out. So I feel like I don't need to do brand deals. I don't like to do a ton of brand deals. It's really, it's not as fun for the viewer. I know that. So I don't want to overload my channel with a lot. I just want to do the ones where I think it's a cool product and a cool company and, um, just like a, an actually good video. So that's what's pretty cool really about this last year. If you followed my CPM journey on my YouTube channel, I figured out how, I mean, I can just live off of AdSense at this point, which is great because I could say no to every brand deal I want. And having that freedom is amazing. So I remember when I was first making money on YouTube, the first thing I was so excited to buy because I actually had some money was a MacBook that was like and a DSLR the, that I was just so excited for before I could never afford a MacBook. I would always have some kind of PC and I wanted iMovie. I wanted to use those corny intro graphics and things like that. And I remember feeling so great the day that Monica and I could pool our money together and buy a MacBook to share like that was amazing so that was really something that motivated me when I was younger and it was honestly because I just wanted to make better videos too because I always just thought it was fun and there's just something about getting a MacBook that I thought was like so amazing so that was like I just wanted to share my first like fun thing once I had a little bit of money that I was super excited to buy. Now let's talk a little bit about making money in regards to YouTube and how it all works because I know so many people that follow my channel want to know how they can do it too. I really think pretty much anyone can be a YouTuber if they actually are committed and you do have to like it. If you don't like it, I feel like you'll just never really put the time in to make good enough videos, but it's definitely not an overnight thing. It's not one of those, you know blow up overnight and you're making a lot of money, it takes years where you're really just not making anything at all. I've actually noticed, and I've talked about this with quite a few uh, sort of internet entrepreneurs, I guess you would call it, that agree that doing anything like YouTube or starting a blog or any of that, it is a, a long time and a lot of work where you don't make anything at all, nothing. And it's like you're pushing a snowball uphill And it's getting bigger, but it's still just a lot of work. And it's you putting in so much effort for kind of, it seems like, maybe nothing. And then at a certain point, you get to the top of the hill. And now your snowball starts rolling downhill. And it's getting bigger and bigger without you even putting, like, any effort in. And that's kind of how YouTube is. At the beginning, you're probably putting in so much effort. And, you know, a lot of these things are um basically anything that's even the slightest bit I think entrepreneurial I don't think traditional jobs are like this but um YouTube and any of these they kind of fall into this you put in a lot of work and for no reward but then it can be so worth it later but you just gotta stick it out until you get to that downhill and most people can never get to that Um, because I think it's honestly because sometimes people are too focused on making money from it and not having fun with it because you're not going to make very much at first. So I think it's possible to force it and just do it for the money. I see people doing it, but it's so obvious. The viewer can tell. I think it's so much better if you actually like the videos you're making and are making things about topics you're interested in. And really, if you're just forcing it and are doing something for the money, you'll end up burning out. And that's with anything YouTube or you see people on Wall Street that just can't do it anymore because they're just doing it for the money. I think it's you will burn out. It is important to enjoy what you're doing as well. And I think it's possible for everyone to find that. So it can be a good thing to not, you know, blow up overnight with something or like, you know, win the lottery. We know statistics say that people feel the same amount of happiness in six months if they win the lottery. And so I think it's so much better to stretch that out. It's like the first hundred dollars I made on YouTube were probably the most exciting thing ever, like way more exciting now than if I made like twenty thousand dollars from a brand deal, which I will say for a YouTube channel with a million subscribers, that's not uncommon. That's kind of a standard rate for a dedicated video. If a, if it's a channel that gets, you know, a couple hundred thousand views per video or something. And I even feel weird saying that in this podcast because I don't want people to get like, I don't know, bitter that YouTubers can make that much. And I used to feel a little nervous to talk about it when I made that video about how much I make from a million views. I felt kind of like I wanted to downplay it and stuff. And I was so nervous to upload that video. And I found for years, every YouTuber would keep it so hush hush and be like, oh, Google doesn't let us say how much and I even believed that, which isn't true. It's in the terms of conditions. Google is like, yeah, you can say how much you make. So I I think that YouTubers just didn't want to say it because maybe they want to see more relatable or whatever, but it's just not truthful. It's not reality. And then once people find that out and you can tell, you know, if someone has five million subscribers they're making a lot of money and if they're trying to seem relatable it's just kind of like why it's not it doesn't feel genuine you know but what I realized is so many people actually Like not very, very, very few people reacted negatively. Most people were kind of inspired and kind of like, wow, she can do it. Maybe I can do it, which I think is so awesome. Like, I don't want people to hear that and get jealous or something. I want them to get inspired and think, oh, my gosh, maybe I can. Because YouTube is one of those things I feel like almost anyone can do. But at the same time, I feel like a lot of people can't do because a lot of people like it's like they don't have it in them. Or something like that. I think deep down everyone does, but some people just don't want to. They don't want to put in that work or they don't want to go through that time where you make nothing and then can later on make more it's whatever I feel like if someone chooses to and wants to maybe that's for the best though it kind of weeds out the people who are doing it just for money because I feel like YouTube is one of those things that if you're really doing it just for money it's going to be real tough to stay motivated because you're not going to make any for a long time so that's kind of the whole mindset part of it I guess another thing I wanted to talk about was just more specifically what I do with my money At this point, I don't track it like crazy. Like I don't track every cent. But I think if I was making less, if I didn't do YouTube, I I would be that type of person that would be like budgeting hardcore and probably being really intense about it. But I don't feel like I need to and I feel like, Mm, since I err on the side of saving anyway I'm not super worried about not budgeting I just know I'm not going to be someone who's going to go shopping and spend a ton of money I still will go shopping and be like but do I really want this I don't know so I don't feel like I need to but if you are someone that's way more of a spender having a budget is so important I think because otherwise you're just gonna almost like spend your money in a delusional way where it doesn't feel real because we just have debit cards like it's so easy for it to just be so easy to spend (laughs) but basically a little rundown when I graduated high school and moved to California I was probably making like 30,000 a year on YouTube and I lived in Orange County and so it was like enough to pay rent and pretty much pay for everything i needed just as one person orange county is a lot cheaper to live in in la my rent was like eight hundred dollars a month and i was still kind of you know in school so i wasn't super worried but i was always i was still very focused on youtube and trying to keep that up and grow it and make it even more successful and over the years that did work out i would say probably two years later I think, or maybe even less. It could have been when I was 19 or 20 when I made six figures for the first time in a year. I don't remember the exact year. I think it was probably when I was 20, but it could have been 19. I don't know. That was kind of when things ramped up pretty quickly. And in that time, I knew, oh, I should invest this, but I didn't know where or how, and I was so overwhelmed and found it daunting my dad would be like go to fidelity and open an account there but I would just was afraid to invest in stocks because I I was like but what if it goes down and I don't know which ones to pick and I don't know I didn't feel like no offense to my dad love my dad he's great but he's not a financial advisor and you know I think that my parents are pretty good with their money but at the same time I don't think I, I just kind of live my life by I, I try to not take advice from people that don't have what my goal is or what I want. So, again, it's like no offense to my dad, but I was like, I just felt like this intuition. I was like, I don't know if he knows even the best way to invest the money that I'm making. And oh, my God, it's such an advantage. Like I have some friends who their parents are like accountants and stuff. And my parents were never that like I felt like they were low key, like not super good with money, like not bad, but they weren't like millionaires, you know, and it's such a different thing when you don't have that kind of role model financially, like my role model was the Internet. And I think it's really cool. Anyone can kind of use that now to learn and figure out where to invest. And oh my gosh, now it's easier than ever. But what I'm trying to say is for a couple years, I didn't invest because I just didn't know really where to. And the first thing I started was a retirement fund and it was a 401k. And it was because my accountant was really encouraging it because it is A really good tax write-off if you own a company, and so I would max that out. I I mean, it always felt like, oh, this never going to see this money like retiring. That feels so far away, but I felt good about it because I felt like it was the smart thing to do. So I would just I would spend the max amount that I could on that. So I started doing that when I was I think nineteen, and so now that four hundred one k actually has kind of a lot of money in it. Obviously not saying that to brag or anything like that, but it's just, I think something that's good to think about if you are, um, you know, like 20, it's really good to think about contributing to your 401k. I hope that me talking about it makes you actually wanna prioritize it because even though it does feel so far away being 60, I'm sure that our generation will probably live a really long time. And so you're gonna want that money and it's gonna grow Exponentially. And also if you work at a traditional company, a lot of companies, I think most major companies do 401k matching. So say you put in $5,000, they'll match it with another $5,000. So it's pretty much like a no brainer. It just You know, it does suck. You can't do anything without money for a long time. But I look at people that are 60, like my dad is 65 and he's still thriving. You know, it's like he'll definitely and now he's drawing from his retirement. So I know I'll be 60 and I'll be so glad that I did this. The next thing I did investing wise was start a mutual fund and Monica kind of spearheaded this and I hopped on and was like yeah I want to do this too. So I'm kind of going with the assumption people know what a mutual fund is I guess but it's just a way to invest in a lot of different companies so it's a very diverse portfolio of companies so you're kind of generally getting the whole stock market and you'll average about 10% a year. So say you have $100,000 in a mutual fund, you would likely make $10,000 for it just being invested in these companies. But I do think a lot of you guys probably know that. I mean, there's so much info on it by now. But if you didn't, I mean, there you go. So back then, the reason that kind of took a while, we both kind of did that when we were I think 20 also, 20 or 21. And we took a while because we just didn't know where to go. I mean, this was before even Robin Hood and apps like that. I think those apps were around, but I had certainly never heard of it. And I just felt a little nervous about that kind of thing anyway. And so it wasn't until we did make a friend in California who his dad was a really successful Financial planner slash wealth management person. He owned his own company of that, and they were just you know really successful with that. And I could see even then, I was like, wow, this guy, our friend, he has such a leg up on everyone because his dad knows all this stuff and is passing on all this info. That's why I feel like it's good to talk about it because most of us don't have that advantage of having parents that like are financial planners or accountants. Like that's a very small percentage of people. It also just kind of reminds me of that old adage, the rich get richer, the poor get poorer. It's a huge part of that is just because of the people that you know. A lot of times people that have money know and are friends with other people that are in a similar, you know, socioeconomic range. And so generally, you know, without even trying or intentionally sometimes you're just learning things from these other successful people. And the great thing with today 2020 is you don't necessarily even need to know someone personally that's successful there are a lot of people that are sharing it just on the internet because it's not always possible to have access to someone that's successful you know what i mean but there's a ton a ton of successful people now that are sharing their info on youtube or instagram and all that stuff so that i think is really good it's important the kind of content that you're consuming even so anyway, our friend recommended somebody that he knew to work with as a financial advisor. And that's when I felt good about it. Getting a referral or a recommendation from someone you know, I think is the best way. I actually kind of take that back because I don't know if having a financial advisor is necessarily the best thing because they take a percentage. And these days you can just invest yourself on Robinhood or Webull or any of those apps. They're not going to be taking a percentage They do make money, but I think it's from their subscription, so like Robinhood Gold. And statistically, the S&P 500, the top 500 companies, performs better than a lot of financial advisors. And financial advisors, you know, it's like a certificate thing. I don't even think you have to have a degree to be one. In fact, let me Google it. Yeah, you don't actually even need a degree to be a financial advisor. So I don't think that's something that you need or that should stop you. And to prove this, I will give you guys a little intel. So I just logged into my financial advisors, the account basically where I can see the performance of everything. And it's gone up 8.6% for, it actually doesn't say exactly how long, but I'm assuming the year that sounds about right. Or it could be all time either way, 8.6%. That's pretty good, but it's not like incredible or anything where it's like, wow, I'm so glad I have a financial advisor for this. Um, Taking a look at the S&P 500 for the past year, it's gone up 9.76%. So just like the statistic says, the S&P 500 beat out my financial advisor. So now I'm really rethinking the whole financial advisor thing. Um, I mean, obviously, I I don't know. I think a lot of people get a financial advisor because they don't know. how to manage their money that's why i did i was just daunted by it and i thought to myself well i don't have a finance degree i don't how would i know what to invest in but it's actually probably not as complicated as the financial advisors want you to think it is um but, you know, I am like truthfully, I still do have my a lot of my investments with a financial advisor because I do still feel, still kind of feel like, OK, I don't know if I trust myself to do this on my own. Even knowing that statistic, I just feel like it's a little safer there. Um, and that's my honest. That's where I'm at. But I don't think, you know, if you are haven't invested before, I don't think you really need to get a financial advisor and That's kind of all the info I have on that. (laughs) I think it's so easy now to invest. Like I would recommend if you've never invested, just downloading something like Robinhood and putting a small amount of money into it just so that you are actually looking at stocks and it's on your mind and you remember to make a habit of it. It's like the first time doing anything like the first time investing is really the hardest step and then once you get past that it's a lot easier so i just contribute to a mutual fund every single month and that's like the main way i invest it just automatically goes into it that's what i definitely recommend doing because then you don't even think about it and over time you're like oh yeah wait i have all this money that i can use for Maybe a down payment on a house or something like that. And it's really important to put it in that separate account, that mutual fund, so you don't touch it. Actually putting it in a separate account like a mutual fund makes your mindset of it so different. Like I've only ever contributed to it. I've never, ever taken any money out of it. So that's really my thoughts on investing. I think it's important, like anyone listening to this, you should invest. And we could get into the whole Bitcoin thing, whatever. I mean, I, I invested a little bit in that just to see what's going on and to kind of have some stake in it. So I stay interested in it. If I don't invest in something, I'll find it, I'll just forget about it. So sometimes I'll just do that a little bit, just, just like stay updated and make sure I'm like, know what's going on. A lot of you guys know that Monica and I also invested in a townhouse in Seattle. I think that deserves its own episode talking about that. So we won't get super into that today. But that is one thing that I think is really great for everyone listening to this to think about because, you know, it's kind of funny because um, I was thinking about this the other day how You probably think of buying a house as something you do when you're married and whatever, but people just get married so much later these days than our parents did, where you could just buy a house on your own if you are at the point where you can, but you might not think about it that way yet because you maybe from a younger age think, oh, that's something you do when you're like ready to settle down. Well, no, just once you have enough money to make that investment, it's really smart to just make that investment. You don't need to wait to settle down. You can buy a place and rent it out. I mean, there's there's so much info on that, and we'll get into that in another episode because that's what me and Monica do. We invested in a place, she Lives in it, but we also rent out the other two rooms. I literally didn't even see it until we were closing on the house because I was purely like, this is a good investment. So we can talk about that in another episode if you guys want. And the last thing regarding money I wanted to talk about was kind of how money and gender are there's like a weird thing there. And I think a lot of people listening to this are girls. And I read a statistic that was pretty interesting it basically said that the way that a lot of parents talk to girls about it when they're younger is to save their pennies but then the way they talk to boys is more about investing and building your wealth but I mean hey it doesn't matter if you're listening to this podcast you're at an age where you can educate yourself and go on YouTube and see this stuff but maybe no one I don't know, told you it was the cool thing to do. Um, No, but it really doesn't matter if it's cool. I think a lot more, I see a lot more um, male financial YouTube channels. And sometimes I even think, uh, I feel like I would get hate if I made a video about, how much I made, if I made as much as as some of these finance channels. But with guys, it's like all good things. They're like, yes, so great. I don't know. I just don't think it needs to be that way. It's really great for anyone that's killing it, I think, personally. But there is kind of that weird thing that's still there. But I think if you're a girl listening to this, let's just all try and shake that off and be smart with our money, you know? Hopefully this helps. I- On the one hand, I don't feel like I'm qualified to talk about investing and stuff because I'm not like a certified financial planner. But then again, none of these finance YouTubers are. None of them are. And I know that where I'm at with my finances is definitely above the average for my age. And so if I can share some knowledge, I think why not? But then again, just always take what you hear on the internet with a grain of salt. Do your own research. I'm not, as I said, a professional with this stuff, but I just wanted to share my honest um, views on it. Uh, But yeah, it's for entertainment purposes only. And this isn't financial advice and, you know... You know the whole spiel that you'll hear in those videos. But seriously, do your own research. This is kind of just to get you thinking about it. And hopefully you learn something from this. (laughs) So this is getting pretty long. Um, So I'm going to get into a millennial life crisis of the week. But if you guys have more questions on this, um, I'm having Nate O'Brien on the podcast tomorrow. So email us today, millenniallifepodcast at gmail.com. What other questions you have, because... He is a finance YouTuber, so we can talk about that. Okay, now let's take a look at a submission from one of you guys. Your millennial life crisis of the week. This is from Tracy. She said, hi, Monica and Shelby. I wanted to share with you my MLC of the week. I love that you called it MLC of the week. I am a pharmacy student on the East Coast, and I have two more years of school. My boyfriend is just starting medical school here as well, and we intend to stay together. Wow, what a power couple. Pharmacy school and medical school. Love it. My parents, on the other hand, moved to Seattle, the Seattle area two years ago, and I just spent a little over a month at their house while on summer break. I miss them so much and have been crying daily since I got home last week because I love Washington summers, being close to my family, and I've been extra emo coming back to hot, humid, 95 degree weather. My crisis is that I really want to move to Seattle, but it's not possible for me right now, still being in school, four years left for For my boyfriend, and he also has residency after that. Wherever he finds his residency is where I will likely end up living until my early 30s, and I fear I will never make it to my dream of living in Washington, especially since there aren't a lot of residencies in the Seattle area besides UW. I know I'll probably be less sad as time goes on, but I was wondering if you guys ever felt sad whenever you moved to LA. Only difference here is that my parents actually left me instead of the other way around. LOL. They used to live about an hour away from school. Hope you both have an awesome day and I love your podcast. Oh, thanks, Tracy. Okay, so I have a interesting thought on this. Tracy, girl, you are being... Um, gosh, really dazzled by these Washington summers. Let me tell you, most of the year kind of sucks. That's why I don't live there. I mean, it rains like nonstop, and I will say the summer it's almost magical, it's the best place. So, I can see why you would now want to live there in the summer, especially with your parents now being there and missing them. But I do think it will get easier. I think that you definitely should finish pharmacy school. I mean, you got a lot of time to be able to move to Seattle, but it, I will say like when I first moved to LA or no, actually when I first moved to Orange County, I wasn't really sad because I, I had always wanted to move there, but when Monica left and moved back to Seattle and I felt just like way more on my own, I was super sad and I was, I was like kind of crying daily for sure. Like I just felt a little more like, what am I doing? Like, do I really want to stay here? It was a summer. And so I would go visit Washington and it would be amazing, but I'm really glad I stayed I feel like I I don't know I just think it's kind of different because I just sort of like LA better I don't know if you really like um the east coast as much I will say though I think that the Seattle summers are fooling you it's really not as fun to live there the rest of the year I can tell you that you might even like think you like rain but I don't know maybe I just hate rain but I don't think oh I I don't know Have you been to Seattle in the winter? Because it sucks, in my opinion. There's, like, nothing to do. I mean, that's, like, a little dramatic. No offense to anyone that lives there. Monica, cough, cough. Um, But I think that... Honestly, probably a big part of it is it being summer in Washington. I think as time goes on, you will be less sad. It's just hard if your parents just moved and you really liked hanging out with them. You kind of have to like mourn that loss of them living nearby for a bit. I think in a few months, you'll probably feel better. Or when you're busy with school again and the world's back to normal, if it ever is. I, I think it you'll probably feel a lot better because you'll just be busy and not thinking about it as much. But, you know, if in two years you still really want to live in Seattle and you visit it in the winter and you still think that's where you need to be, then maybe reevaluate. But I think for now, like finishing pharmacy school is the move. And I think the Washington summers might be just, you know, tricking you messing with your brain. They do that. But that's just my opinion. Obviously, you know, the situation better than me. So I would say stick it out. You probably will feel better. But if in two years when you finish pharmacy school, you don't then I would reevaluate for sure. So that is going to be it for this episode this week I hope that you guys enjoyed let me know if you like the solo episode it honestly stresses me out doing this because I'm like is this even interesting I can't tell so I'm excited to record more with Monica and with more guests I don't think we'll probably do a ton of solo episodes unless it's a topic that really calls for it like the heartbreak one I feel like I would have kind of just been in the way for Monica's heartbreak story and like maybe asking her some questions but I think it was better for her to just do that one on her own so we'll probably just do ones like that on our own. And yeah, that's it for this week. Be sure to rate five stars, subscribe to our podcast, and I will see you guys next week. Bye.